RN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, this week and next week's episode are such a treat, and I'm so excited to share them with you. My friend Sarah Pasquale is on the podcast, and we had so much to talk about, we had to break it into a two-parter. Sarah is such a fun person, and her enthusiasm for the kingdom of God is contagious. Sarah and her husband, Jonathan, live with their children in Atlanta, where she's executive director of the church Resonate Atlanta. In today's episode, we talk about all kinds of things, from family to soul care to missional living to travel to her husband's coffee business. And Sarah and I will continue our conversation in next week's episode as we review a book that we both recently read together called Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest by Ruth Haley Barton. Well, friends, you are going to love today's episode. And so without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Would you like to share a little bit about yourself? Just whatever you want people to know about you. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. I'm really glad to be here. So I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been here for about 15 years, but I grew up out west in Colorado and then actually came to Atlanta via Egypt, where I uh, lived and worked as a missionary there for a couple years. So I am married. We just hit our 15th wedding anniversary and we have four kids. They're between the ages of 10 and 14. Two of them, our youngest two are biological and our oldest two are twins who we actually adopted from Uganda. Uh, almost 11 years ago. So I work full-time for a church that my husband and I helped plant about 10 years ago. I'm the executive director there. And then my husband owns a couple of coffee businesses in the area. So we're pretty settled in here. And um, yeah, I'm just glad to be here. And I'm glad to have you. Um, So the way that Sarah and I, that we met kind of is through your husband. Yeah, Yeah, a long time ago, because Jonathan went to college with me and my husband And so I know you because of that. And I'm wondering if you can share the story of how you guys got together because it's really sweet. Yeah, we have a kind of crazy story. I'm going to give you the quick version because there's also like an, you know, an hour long version. Um, But Jonathan and I both met when we were in university. I was in university in Colorado and he was in Georgia. We spent a summer teaching English in Thailand and we were part of the same teaching team. Um, And so we just got to know each other there a little bit, but we're mostly friends. Um, And we stayed in contact here and there for three or four years, like an email, maybe once a month or something. This was before smartphones or texting or anything like that. Um, we're the same age, but he finished college a couple of years before I did because I took a couple of years off between high school and college. So when he finished school, he moved to South America and was serving uh, with the International Mission Board there. And right around when he came back, I moved overseas to Egypt. And it was while we were in Egypt that Jonathan started to kind of develop feelings for me. And so it was really sweet. He told his grandmother about it, that they were the only two people who knew and prayed about it for like six months. And then he eventually approached me about it. Um, and I actually like shot him down. I was like, you're so great, but I'm just really not interested. And in what I would almost say is like uncharacteristic persistence of him. He said, Hey, listen, let's just pray about it. We have the same Holy spirit. Um, and let's give it a few months to pray about and see what the Lord, if the spirit tells us the same thing. And so, um, we took a few months apart just to kind of pray. Um, and you know, I was thinking like I've had I'd have a couple more months to figure out how to let him down. 
But there was one night that I was in my apartment in Cairo and just in prayer about something else. And I had this sort of like light switch moment where everything changed in my heart. And I suddenly was like, this is the guy. Um, and so we had a conversation in, in early August, kind of deciding like, okay, I think this is it. And you know, like when you're living on two sides of the world, you've never been in the same place. You don't like, you can't really like date to figure it out. So, um, he decided that he would fly out and visit a week and a half later to see if it really worked in person. And so a week and a half later, he flew out and I met him at the airport. And a couple hours later, he actually got down on one knee and proposed. And I said, yes. So we like dated via Skype for 11 days and then we got engaged. And a couple months later, I moved to Georgia and we got married a few months after that. So it's, we kind of laugh. We hardly knew each other when we got married and it was such a faithful God thing. It's been wonderful, but it's a pretty wild story. That is a wild story. And I'm so glad that you shared it. Yeah. I mean, my husband and I met in college and then he graduated and left. So, and I was still in college for another year. So we did some long distance, but like, Dating via Skype, via the Holy Spirit from across the world. That's a lot of faith right there. Yeah, we really didn't. I mean, we never lived in the same place until we were married, which is kind of funny. We took a trip recently and we're talking about like how much more fun it was to do this trip together than it was when we first got married because we didn't know each other's rhythms. It was like, do you like to eat in? Do you like to go out to eat? Do we like movies or do we like reading? All those things we had to figure out early on. And now we know those rhythms. And so it's a lot more easy and natural. That's so interesting. So speaking of that, it was Ecuador, right? That you just went to? Yeah. What was that trip like? Yeah, we, this is our first trip that we've taken since we've had kids. Um, And we got away for about a week at conveniently overlapped with our 15th wedding anniversary. Oh, it was just wonderful. It's a beautiful place. It's close to where Jonathan used to live in South America, which was fun because I'd never been to South America. But mostly we like ate good food and we did a lot of hiking um, and exploring and just enjoyed being together. We didn't talk about any of like the things that we normally have to talk about, like parenting or schedules or work or any of that. But I, I would go back to Ecuador in a heartbeat. And it's, I mean, it's the same time zone as Atlanta, and it's only five hours away. And so it's so close and easy to get to. It's only five hours. Like by plane, you mean? Yeah. Wow. A five hour direct flight. Interesting. It was incredible. So so it wasn't a mission trip. It was just for fun. Yeah. It was just for fun. That's so cool. Neat. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you are a busy woman, and I have so many things I want to chat with you about. But let's start off with your position at Resonate. I don't think I realized that you guys planted that church. So tell me about what that church is like and your position there and everything. So we were approached by the lead pastor about 12 years ago who had a heart to plant the church inside the city. You know, Atlanta, Georgia is still sort of part of the Bible Belt, but there are definitely parts of our city where there's not a lot of gospel-centered churches. And so the heart of our lead pastor was to land a church in an area where there wasn't very much access to truth in scripture. And he and his wife invited us to join them about 11 years ago. So we moved to a different area of the city where we are now and helped plant it. And then about six years ago, uh, when our youngest was about three, I was approached by our lead pastor and he invited me to come on staff as the executive director. So it would be considered like a similar role to an executive pastor, but just looks a little bit different with um, some with the church planning network we're with. And um, I kind of serve as second chair to him. So whatever he does, I don't do and whatever I don't do, he does. Um, I have 
up until recently led most of our staff and I oversee kind of our volunteers and our ministries and programs and then do some of the operations and HR stuff. So we're still a relatively small church in the grand scheme of things and we have a few more staff now. Uh, but I've been in the position for six years. It's It's been wild. I'm really grateful for it. It's it's incredible what happens when you stick around with the community for a while. Yeah. And how much God shows you himself through those relationships. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much that we could talk about just in that. But I'm wondering, yeah. when it comes to leading a group of people for a long period of time, I'm sure that that presents its own challenges too. But what have you learned about leadership in that position? Oh, man. I learned a lot about leadership. I used to read a ton of leadership books and then I kind of, I got tired of them and focused more on sort of abiding in Christ in my own relationship and letting leadership flow out of that. But my heart is just, is to guide people into deeper communion with Jesus. That's sort of my own personal mission statement. And in leading others, that looks like creating space for them to live out what I would say is their Imago Dei or the way that they represent the image of God and how God created them. And so that's creating space for them to learn and notice and see how God is at work in their life and also to faithfully steward the resources and the gifts that God has given them uh, to share with the church in their time and in their energy and all of that kind of stuff. And so working for a church, it, it can be complicated because it's kind of maybe the only working environment where your church is also your community is also your workplace. And so we have to be really careful that we're guarding people's hearts and we're caring for the heart of the staff and the volunteers first. And so it's it's a very shepherdy sort of position, I would say, leading people in a church environment and context, which is different. I used to be in nonprofit management and I and I managed people in that old position as well. And it looked a little bit different. That's really cool. And that leads me to ask you about becoming a spiritual director which seems like it flows out of exactly what you just said. So tell me, first of all, I just have questions about being a spiritual director because I've been listening to all these podcasts, reading all these books. It's like the new thing. Everybody's like, well, you should have a therapist and you should have a spiritual director. But I feel like that term is kind of, I think it's been around, but it's a lot more popular now. Can you explain what it is and what you're hoping to do in that role? Yeah, sure. I can do my best to explain it, but someone else may say it differently. Yeah, spiritual direction has been around for centuries. But one of the things that I've found in like spiritual direction, I guess you kind of like should picture sort of like a therapist and a coach. It's like almost like a triple Venn diagram. And what a spiritual director primarily does is meet you in the spiritual places and help you notice and discern and see where God is actively at work in your life. And so spiritual directors don't don't tend to offer counsel or advice like a therapist would, and they don't work towards a specific goal like a coach does, but more just kind of comes along you as a companion to help you notice and pay attention to God and his work in your life. So I wasn't super familiar with, with the idea of spiritual direction until I joined a formational leadership program through an organization called Leadership Transformations International. And I spent two years in that program and it's very contemplative. And I was partnered with a spiritual director and it was a transformational experience for me and kind of God through that experience opened some doors and gave me a little bit more clarity on just his call on my life and that led to me pursuing spiritual direction. Uh, it won't necessarily ever become a full-time career for me, but definitely something I'll incorporate and practice both in my current job and probably a little bit outside of it as well. Yeah, because I'm thinking about the job that you already have, I'm sure it takes a lot of time. 
and the leadership role that you have. So are you hoping to use it like with your parishioners or outside of that as well? I have a huge passion for the local church. I really, really love the local church. And so the primary place where I would like to use the gifts that God has given me is the local church. And I already do a lot of discipleship and care, primarily for women, but for men as well. And I think spiritual direction will help me do that even better. We There's a lot of movement towards spiritual disciplines and soul care and what some people maybe would call counterformation and counterformational practices. And spiritual direction is a big component of living those out and practicing them, sort of this like urban monastic way of living. So our church is moving in that direction a lot. So it feels like really good timing for me to also be growing in this. Very cool. So as all the things that you're doing, you're mothering four children, you're a wife, you're an executive director, you're going to be a spiritual director to people. How do you balance ministry and family life and all the reading you do, which we're going to talk about in a minute? (laughs) And speaking of soul care, what does that look like for you these days, including spiritual disciplines? Like, tell me, tell me how you're caring for your own soul in the midst of all that. So I'm really glad you asked me this question because it's probably the thing I love to talk about the most. I want to start by saying that I am a pretty high capacity person. And so I understand that there's, there's probably, I have more capacity to do things than, than others. Um, but it also is the struggle of productivity and getting too busy and overcommitting myself is, is one of the idols that I struggle with the most. And so I want to acknowledge that as well. Uh, A number of years ago, when my kids were really little, I got like really close to burnout and it was through sitting down with a therapist that I kind of realized that and, and discovered the importance of incorporating just practices of rest and learning to say no into my life. And it's a wrestle because I'm a deeply passionate person and I'm a really convicted person and all the things I do, I can find justifications for and reasons why they're important and they're biblical. But what I was not doing was sitting before the Lord and discerning what he was inviting me in to do. And so that's a big part of my life. So I kind of, um, break down my, my soul care practices, I would say by like day, week, month, and year. Probably a lot of us do it that way for those of us who practice it. But the biggest thing for me daily is early mornings. I am, I am a morning person and actually so is my husband. And we wake up really early, like painfully early because our kids get up early too for school. And in that early morning before our kids are up, we drink coffee and I have my own devotional time. My goal for that time is that it is just to be with Jesus, that it's not related to work. You know, I teach the Bible, I do these things. And so I could really easily give that time to things that I need to produce something. But my morning times just need to be me sitting before the Lord and saying, I love you. And I want to be with you because you are worth being with outside of any kind of other responsibilities. Another key thing for me within that is to give, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes just towards listening prayer time, whether that's a guided meditation or Lectio Divina or just being silent before the Lord. I am a super extrovert and I have a really noisy mind. And so one of the most essential practices and really disciplines for me is regular silence and solitude. And I have to make that choice every day because I never want to do it. And that's also when I do my reading, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Weekly. 
We are a family that is very committed to practicing Sabbath. So for us, that looks like a 24-hour period where we don't do any work. (laughs) Uh, We don't do housework and we don't do schoolwork for our kids. And I don't do work work or neither does my husband. So we celebrate our Sabbath on Saturdays. I work Sundays and my husband works Monday through Friday. And we do it together as a family. We have a lot of fun things that I can tell you more about if you're interested in learning more about that. Um, And then monthly, I do meet with a spiritual director every month, and it's good for me to slow down and just kind of notice where God is at work in my life. And I also, my work is incredible, and they give us one day, like one work day a month away just to go and be with God. And so a lot of times that will look like going for a hike or taking a nap or things that are just really good for my soul and rest. And then yearly or annually, we, I try to get away on a personal retreat for a couple nights, once a year or so. And then my husband and I try to do it together. Um, and then soul care, there's just a couple other things I want to mention about that that are really important for me and that I, that I couldn't quite fit into those categories. One is community. We have an incredibly rich and strong community that we are really committed to. And it has taken years to build that. And it hasn't always been easy, but remaining connected to and open to and vulnerable with a small group of friends who are part of our regular lives and really part of our family has been a key piece for that, as well as being really limited in what we consume in media. So I, um, I usually don't keep social media on my phone. I mean, I'm on it, but it it can't stay on my phone (laughs) because otherwise I just scroll and we don't watch very much TV. We're really careful about that. So soul care has, has been transformational in my life. And I think it's what has probably enabled me and equipped me to continue walking in what God has called me to. But I know that it's probably the most essential thing for me as well. I love everything that you just said. And a lot of it we're (laughs) going to carry into our next episode because we're going to be talking about Sabbath in a minute and sabbatical. And you mentioned a lot of things related to all that. So I'm interested about the Instagram thing because you do post. Mm -hmm. So if it's not on your phone, how are you doing that? I download it and post and then erase it. <laughs> I was going to say, because I have struggled with that, trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out. I'm like, I don't want it on my phone. Also, I can't post from my computer. That gets tough. So yeah, that is hard. It is. You know, I thought like I gave it up for a few months at a time. Or one time I said like, I'm just going to get on Instagram on Fridays, which is my day off where I'm not Sabbathing. And I, I just like, I really struggle with self-control around that. And so uh-huh, I've just had to learn. And there was a while that I had to like erase it from my phone. And this is like, I don't know, kind of embarrassing, but I had to have my husband change the password because otherwise I would just download it again. It was like, it's this strange kind of like, because I won't sit down and turn on the TV or something like that. It's a strange way to sort of disconnect in in ways that like, you know, I mean, I watch like funny animal videos. It's like, there's not like an ethical compromise in there, but there's just something that happens in my heart and my spirit um, that I need external boundaries because I just don't have the self-control in and of myself to handle it. I understand completely. (laughs) So tell me about Women in the Window, what you do with that ministry and what that ministry is all about. I love Women in the Window. Thank you for asking. I have served as a volunteer on the volunteer leadership team with this organization called Women in the Window uh, for about seven years now. Women in the Window is a nonprofit organization that serves Christian women living in the 1040 window. And for in case you're not familiar with the 1040 window, it's a region 
primarily compromised, like comprising North Africa, the Middle East, and South Asia, where the majority of the people who live there don't have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard the gospel. There's not a church or a Bible. Many people, even in their own language. And so for women in this region who are Christian, they are marginalized. They're marginalized because of their religion and they're marginalized because of their gender. These can can be kind of oppressive cultures. I'm generalizing here, so they're not all this way, but can tend to be oppressive cultures. So what we do with Women in the Window is we provide three to five day workshops in different areas that the women request around health or spiritual formation or micro business or advocacy or leadership. And so we partner with ministries there and we come in and we offer them trainings and teachings. We bring their women leaders together. We offer them trainings and teachings, and then we give them all the material we just utilized, translated into their language, and they go into their communities and train and develop. And so it's an organization where we use the resources that we have um, as Americans who have a lot of access to books, and many of us have um, you know, access to university or even higher graduate level degrees, and we offer them that information. And so they are the ones who are developing and supporting and training and empowering women in their own communities. It's the, it's the coolest. It's like, I know that sounds too good to be true, but it, it really is. It's, it's an amazing organization. So I've traveled kind of all over with them. My most recent trip was to Kathmandu, Nepal, and we did a training on leadership where we kind of walked each woman who came through their stories, their life stories and experiences and helped them identify where God was in those stories and then create a mission or a vision statement as they looked at maybe their spiritual gifts and their lives and all that kind of stuff. It was really, it was really wonderful. Sarah, I want to live your life. That is so cool. <laughs> so awesome. It's amazing. Well, women in the window is always looking for volunteers. So feel free to connect with me if you're interested in learning more. They're an incredible organization. Yeah. So how often do you travel with them? I, before the pandemic, I would travel about once a year, maybe twice a year. It's obviously really hard to get away when I have four kids. Yeah, Um, that's what I was wondering about. Mm -hmm. You know, John and I both have like equally flexible and inflexible schedules because he owns his own business. He works a lot, but he can kind of define those hours. Um, We didn't travel at all. We moved to Zoom trainings, which we still do a lot of during the pandemic. And then probably I'm going to have to take a break from traveling when I start this spiritual direction program. Cause again, I can only travel so much with kids at home, but I would, ideally I would love to travel a couple times a year. Speaking of soul care, huh? And all the boundaries we have to set. Right. That's right. Right. And it's yes. So I want to talk to you about your husband's job, but more so I want to talk to you about missional living because mm. I think his job, the way your family operates, the way you operate, it's really all about missional living. Will you talk to us about what that is and how your family incorporates that into your lives? Yeah, sure. I mean, it looks a little bit different. So if you have specific questions, you can ask kind of depending on the subject or the area, but uh, around his business about eight or nine years ago, I guess it was about nine years ago, he opened up a coffee shop. He'd always kind of had a dream to open up a coffee shop. And the plan for that at the time was to find a way to kind of sustain us financially so we could move back overseas onto the mission field. And then about five years ago, we felt the Lord kind of release us to start discerning it. And we assumed that because he was releasing us to discern it, that, um, that he would send us. <laughs> um, we took a perspectives class. I had taken it before and I'm actually an instructor, but uh, he had taken for the first time the perspectives on the world Christian movement course. And it opened up a lot of conversations for us. And as we prayed and discerned, uh, we just felt like the Lord was saying, this is not the time to go. 
a big piece of that is some dynamics within our family and and also having a heart that our kids would go overseas. And we felt like just because of some family dynamics that the best thing for us to give our kids at their age to maybe even equip them to go would be to provide a safe and secure environment. And some of the places that we would want to go would be hard to live in. They wouldn't provide a lot of safety or security. And it may even put a heavier burden on our girls from Africa whose skin color is different. Uh, there's a there's a grace for people who go and we celebrate that. But we just felt like the Lord closed the door for us. Uh, and and that had a really profound impact on Jonathan in realizing that there there can be other ways for us to be missional, particularly to unreached people groups. And so he kind of upended what he was doing with his coffee shop and moved it towards what he would call as faith-based missional entrepreneurship. And so he started a business that finally opened just about four or five months ago that is it's it's not like a Christian business, but it is a business run by a Christian. And he has found that this coffee business is the way that he fulfills the Great Commission. So the mission is to make a positive impact in the world using specialty coffee. It's he's committed to paying living wage to every single employee from coffee farmers to baristas. Um, he's got partnerships internationally with different coffee farmers. And then his goal ultimately is to open up a training center as well. Well, of course, it'll do like specialty coffee training, but it could also be like a sort of missionary coffee company boot camp. You know, there's a lot of places in the world where people want to go and share the gospel, but you can't go as a missionary. So you have to have a business. And the goal would be for it to be a successful business, not like a fake one. Um, so that's what it looks like for Jonathan. You know, I feel like God has really gifted me to be a mobilizer and a sender. Um, he's gifted me to, to work with and pour into believers. And my heart for the unreached and for the nations overflows and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then we have this amazing gift of living basically across the street from this community called Clarkston. It's been called the most diverse square mile in the country. And it's where the, a huge amount of refugees in Georgia are resettled. And so, I mean, I have neighbors on our street in our tiny little neighborhood from Somalia and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Bhutan. And so we get to live internationally and missionally in what we do. And then we just have a lot of people in our home. Uh, We had a refugee live with us for a while. We're really grateful for all the opportunities we have just to live missionally and to see ourselves as missionaries here in the States. It's a little bit harder, I think, um, it's harder to live in your home culture and not conform to your home culture. Yes. Uh, but yeah. those are things that we're always evaluating and praying about and, and holding before the Lord. Very cool. So Sarah, I lo- I know that you love to read books I and do. so do I. And so that's part of the reason that I have you on the podcast because we are going to talk about a book in the next episode. So listeners stick around, but to end this podcast on a fun note, let me know what are what have been some of the best books that you've read lately that you would recommend. Man, I really love to read. It's hard for me to say that, but I would say the last couple months, I recently read Everything Sad is Untrue. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, my husband just finished it and we have it from the library. And oh, I need to it read is it so good. It's sort of a memoir of a man who originally is from Iran. And his mom became a Christian and they ended up in Oklahoma as refugees. But it's written from the perspective of a 12-year-old. So I've gotten my kids to read it too. But it's a really powerful story. Um, And I'm also a big fan of like liturgies. And so I spent a lot of time in the Every Moment Holy books of liturgies, which are wonderful. And it's also something we do together as a family. So I would say those those are probably two of the best books that I've read recently. 
Very cool. So we are going to continue this conversation in our next episode. But before we close out, is there anything you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to? I don't think so. No, it's been great. Uh, I love talking about all these things. So (laughs) thanks for inviting me to do it. Awesome. Me too. Thanks again, Sarah, for being on today's podcast episode. I just love talking to you. I think we could talk for hours. And a lot of the things you said today gave me something to think about. And I'm going to guess our listeners as well. Well, friends, make sure that you return next Tuesday for the follow-up of this conversation as Sarah and I review the book Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest by Ruth Haley Barton. This book is all about Sabbath and sabbatical, and I chose it because I personally am thinking through what it looks like to Sabbath in this stage of life, and that is a big part of soul care. So friends, if you want to grab that book and read along with us, you can buy it on Amazon or maybe in your local library. I found it for free on the Hoopla app. So I hope that you will all join us next week as we dive into that book discussion together. Well, friends, you know you can always find me on Facebook or Instagram at Pause Renew Next, or you can find me on the website at pauserenewnext.com. Well, that is all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN, Pause, Renew, Next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.